0: Bonnet. Well, hello, and welcome back to the second installment of Travel with Stephen Roundtree. If you've been with us since the beginning for this incredible long run, it's good to have you back, as always. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, then welcome. Uh, This is where we talk about practical ways to magical days in Europe and other hot topics. And today, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite days in Europe. I like to call it the Two Tates which is a hilarious comedic play on the Two Towers. Although maybe I should save my Lord of the Rings references for when I cover Oxford, specifically uh, where J.R.R. Tolkien wrote with C.S. Lewis and other notable writers in their little club that they like to call the Inklings. And which I'm in no way jealous of, by the way. Uh, Despite what you've heard in the papers, I mean, who wants to write literature in a Starbucks wannabe pub Okay, for a quick overview of the Stephen Roundtree Travel Trail, we go from Regency Cafe for a traditional English Breakfast to Tate Britain and its wonderful collection of Turners. And Turner was the painter that the pedantic gentleman in Midnight in Paris referred to as one of the fathers of Expressionism. Um, Then we're going to go to a boat ride to the Tate Modern for modern art, and then to either Borough Market or Tieting of the Shangri-La. So let's dive deeper into this travel trail for breakfast. Trailhead. Trail stop one we're going to put in at Regency Cafe for breakfast, because if you're looking for a quintessential British start to the day, then start your day at Regency Cafe. I've done everything I know to resist a suit Nazi joke here, so I'll just make you a deal. No tiresome Seinfeld jokes. If you just please, please show up to this local English cafe and then stand in line and order and be direct and polite. Don't hold up the line, just sit down and have your mind bashed with sausage and then slapped with ham and eggs and potato cakes and then like any other good English person, make your way out for other diners. The man running the show here has a job to do and that is to feed Londoners their start to a London day so that they have the energy to finish their London day. I've seen what happens to tourists who bluster around in here and if you aren't taking this start to London as serious as everyone else, You're gonna regret it. There are no toilets in here that would only stall the British Concord that is his cafe, but there is a cabbie's toilet around the corner. Just head up north on Regency Street and it's at the next intersection. There I just saved you having to stall the foreman at this counter by asking him where are the restrooms and if you do stall him for any reason, don't mention my name. You've been warned. The line here is hit or miss as far as lines go, but don't worry about it, it moves. What you should worry about, though, is if you're looking for anyone to respond to ma'am called out repeatedly like cattle mooing for a waitress for a refill of your orange juice is another place to start your morning in London. So here is where they film the scene in Lair Cake where Morty, played by George Harris, who also plays the Auror in Harry Potter named Kingsley Shacklebow, uh, pummels a dude while a pre-James Bond Daniel Craig watches on. I always think of this cafe when I hear of the famous, but unfortunate phrase, I loved the history of London, but I just got tired of fish and chips and pubs, Um, which is a little bit like saying I loved the energy of New York, but I just got tired of boiled hot dogs and dingy bars. I'm not sure in what other cities people think it's the best idea to do the majority of their dining in bars, and I'm not sure how London slipped into that category, but Regency Cafe is the traditional food that you're looking for. This place reminds me of my great, aunt who used to make homemade bread for us cousins when we had family reunions at her house in Tyler, Texas. She could have driven to the local supermarket, bought plastic wrapped bread, and we would have gotten full and lived another day without the threat of starvation. But when you don't have a lot of money, you can't spend a lot of money to show love for those around you. Like expensive plastic surgeries or big FU engagement rings or giant countertops, what you can spend is time and love you can spend time and love into making ordinary things into special things like my great aunt who woke up two hours before us and using the starter that she kept going for 27 years made a sourdough toast from scratch warm fluffy on the inside crunchy on the outside and she made every person feel that warmth that is the magic behind a place like a regency cafe trail stop two the first of the two Tates, the Tate Britain. Oh yeah, the young, free-spirited Tate Modern does have an older sister who can not only offer deeper, more mature conversation, but is just as beautiful as her younger sister and, in fact, is the one who showed her little sister how to put on makeup. So out of Regency Cafe, head east on Page Street through the buildings that are checkered boards for giants, you'll know what I'm talking about when you get there, and then take a right to head south on Marsham Street and keep going straight as Marsham becomes Herrick Street, and then you'll come to a little place park called Millbank Gardens. For a sit or an outdoor elliptical, both are available there, or just cross through the garden. And on the east side of the park, there's the back wall of the Tate Britain. Take Atterbury Street around the side of the Tate Britain, and there's the river and the steps to the Museum of 500 Years of British Art. What's fun here at the Tate Britain is their walk-through time rooms. British art from the 1500s to today organized chronologically. It's very Mary Poppins-ish, the way you jump into the 1500s art here and don't come out until the present day. In some museums, it's surprising when you have a room all to yourself, but in this museum, it's surprising when you don't, unless you consider the art students spread out on the floor doing a charcoal sketch as sharing. One of my favorite paintings, Ophelia, by Sir John Everett Malaise is here. It's a scene from Shakespeare's Hamlet of a girl singing in a stream before she drowns. I love just sort of rolling at my pants and taking off my shoes and dipping my feet into the stream she's lying in. It's one of my top five paintings uh, in terms of what it says to me because mainly, like all great art, what she's saying is don't say anything at all and just listen. Good travel is good listening. Check out the tape's website, uh, look closer at the story of Ophelia. Then there's the Tate Britain's collection of Turner's which is the largest in the world. And for me, Turner was my missing link between traditional and modern art. Turner paints enough of a remnant of traditional art to where you start to see why art had to change. The da Vinci's of the world had done their duty. And when the Dutch masters packed such genius onto the canvas, someone like Turner comes along and picks apart those paintings and dives deeper into why the works of those great masters meant so much. For example, uh, you know, Turner would say, Let's examine one part of the paintings of these great masters, for instance, uh, like the color red. Or why the outline of a ship means more than a detailed photograph of a ship in 20k. What specific part of the soul does that stimulate, evoke, pull at, pinch, sting? If you've never trusted modern art. Take some extra time in this collection and allow me, through this collection, to argue in modern art's favor. Give it a shot. It'd be cool to me if London got the credit for turning you on to modern art. I wonder if that's why they call him Turner. I'll hold for applause. Although, what's funny about Turner is that when you Wikipedia Turner, one of the first things the article mentions is that Turner proudly, despite enormous success in some of the most pretentious high art circles that exist, kept his blue-collar Londoner Cockney accent. And that makes me wonder how a man who proudly retained his blue-collar London Cockney roots would respond to the pedantic art professor in Midnight in Paris, comparing him to Monet. And while what? You could put me with some French twat juxtaposing colour. If that French doll is the father of abstract expressionism, then that makes me the granddad, don't it, you gazer? And as your granddad, I'm telling you, I wouldn't waste one quid on Monet's scribblings. Which don't belong in cheap-side London, no more than the Queen of England itself belongs, kicking up a bloody skirt in the Moulin Rouge. Another hold for applause. Anyway, trail stop three, the tape modern. Now that you've let Turner do the job that's in his name and he's turned you on to modern art, Let's leave the Tate Britain head to the Tate Modern by going down the steps of the Tate Britain, crossing the street, turning left, and walking along the River Thames. And in a minute or maybe less, you'll find the sign for Millbank Millennium Pier. Walk down to the pier for the Tate boat, which runs about every 40 minutes between the two Tates. There is a little self-serving kiosk where you can buy boat tickets with your credit card. It will ask you for your destination, you're going to Bankside Pier, etc. The boat will be there shortly rather than the little ticket kiosk it might be easier if you ask the people at the front desk of the tate britain how to do it that's what i did they were very friendly and led me straight and they will know what to do and make sure you don't miss the boat as far as the commuter boats of london go they're convenient and easy so take a deep breath of river air my friend and if you're curious My very British brother-in-law used to take the commuter boats to work uh, back when he was a young lawyer living in London, and so that's how I discovered those. Uh, This particular boat ride from the Tate Britain to the Tate Modern will backstroke you down the River Thames, past such tourist attraction as the Eye. if you're curious, disembark the boat at Bankside Pier, which is unnervingly close to Millennium Pedestrian Bridge, if you want to turn and go that way. But it would be irresponsible of me as a travel authority if I didn't at least alert you to the very real possibility, remote it may be, of evil wizards knocking that pedestrian bridge right out from underneath your feet. And you won't see it coming, because these evil wizards are invisible. Well, you know, not invisible invisible, more like a smudge, uh, like the predator or super glue once it drives, for the Millennium Bridge is, in fact, the very pedestrian bridge, sunk by the Death Eaters in the beginning sequence of the film Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Of course, now that I ponder on it, I wonder how the Death Eaters' central command decided that a pedestrian bridge would be the target of greatest tactical advantage to wizard world domination. I need a target, people! The Death Eater Colonel would have said. We're from the top is to hit the muggles red hats. They've ignored the magical world for centuries, and that can't go unpunished. Or they'll think we're weak, even though they don't know we exist. Colonel looks to the other officers in the room, drinking their scotch. Sitting around the old oak table they've been sitting around since God knows when. So many wars. So many friends lost. He raises his eyebrows at the phone in the center of the table in a way that hints, in no uncertain terms, that the next conversation won't be pleasant for anybody in this room. He clears his throat. Intel, you're on with Northern Command. Usual suspects are here with me in the room. So we'll skip greetings and salutations for now and get right to the point. What have you boys. He stretches out the word boys. And the older officers in the room give a sly chuckle. Got for me as possible targets. Intel staff says... Okay, basically, uh, slim Pickens, Roy says the old colonel. Like I said, continues Intel, slim Pickens. but I think we fished out some beauties of this barren lake of muggle targets. On the double, shouts the old colonel. Well, first, says the intel guy on the phone, there's the BT communications tower. Then, as if knowing the colonel was looking at the speakerphone with a puzzled look, The intel guy clarifies with, That big communications tower that's featured on every coffee table book ever written about London is between Marlebone and Bloomsbury. If you hit Fitzonia, you've gone too far south? Ah, the colonel nods his head. The one that looks like the giant cock. He stops, clears his throat, cheeks bright red, as if remembering last week's sexual harassment training. He avoids eye contact with the female officers in the room. Come on, intel. Have you got any targets with some real meat? Folks upstairs want to hit the muggles where it hurts. One could make the argument, says the intel guy over the phone, that hitting the BT communications tower would destabilize the entire muggle communications of London. The government would go dark, wondering the responses to advances chaotic. At best, Here, a new, posh voice wiggles through the speaker. Younger, maybe 22, 23, fresh out of military academy. Not to mention all the millennial muggles who would get absolutely mental without Instagram refreshing on their phones. There's no laughter in the room. "'What about a bridge?' chimes in the old colonel. "'Back in my day, we always went for the bloody bridge. "'Ticks all the boxes.' He looks around the room. The other old guy's nodding in agreement is encouragement enough. The old colonel slams down his good glass of scotch. "'Yes, I think we've got it,' says the Death Eater colonel. Patting his holstered wand. Find the first pedestrian bridge and knock it out from underneath those walking muggles. They surrender now. Let's shake them to their core, gents. Take a note, you younger chaps. The best wars are the ones that are worn before they even begin. Well, who's off for a pint. Off we go, then. If you're listening to this while driving, please don't take your hands off the wheel to applaud that performance. However, if you don't want to risk a Death Eater attack, then from disembarking at Bankside Pier, walk straight to the Tate Modern. Also, Borough Market is here. If you want a little something to eat, like maybe a curry to share, stopping at Borough Market is always a good idea. It's quick if you want it to be, and cheap if you want it to be. The Tate Modern is a free museum in an industrial power building that used to power London with electricity, and in my opinion, and in that of the Association of Lay Metaphors, still does, just with the electricity of great art. Here's where I narrow my eyes at you, though, because it never fails that somebody you're with will walk into a modern art museum and say... I just don't get it. I mean, I could do that. Do you remember the scene in The Devil Wears Prada when Andy scoffed at the so-called fashion gurus who were trying to pick out a belt and Miranda gave her that nice little dressing down about how her little blue lumpy sweater that she wasn't taking herself too seriously in was actually picked out for her by the very people in this room? same thing. It's Albert Einstein's theory who said about relativity that when you sit with a pretty girl for two hours, you think it's only a minute. But when you sit on a hot stove for a minute, you think it's two hours. That's relativity, and to me, that's modern art. The Tate Britain and its classical paintings is the pretty girl you spent two hours with. So now put your hand on the hot stove. In any modern art museum, I look for a piece to burn my subconsciousness in a way that makes me yank it away. So whenever this happens, whether it's your first painting and you question why the color orange extracted memories of your childhood, or if it happens on the fifth floor with a Monet's Water Lilies, it's time to move on. Head for the top of the Tate Modern, floor 10 of the Blavatink Building, where an observation deck is about as close to the Empire State Building experience as you can get in London. On floor 6 of the Boiler Room Building, there's also a cafe with beer and coffee and a directly across the river view of St. Paul's, which is hard to beat in this world. The drink will help with the mundane if whoever you are traveling with has not accepted the inevitability of modern art. After all, if any artist tried to do a painting of the Madonna with Halo and the Christ Child, they be called a wannabe at best more like a prat because it's been done by the best who have ever done it you'll need a second drink when said individual speaking of inevitability repeats the tiresome phrase i mean i could do that i could paint that i found it best to say you know what we should do we should get some canvases and set them up by the river thames and try it and that usually silences those tiresome talking points if it doesn't oh what a fun evening that would be Trail stop four is the trail exit, and you have two choices through which to exit this trail, either Burl Market or Tieting of the Shangri-La. We come to this fork in the road here because, or I guess I should say spoon, you know, for tea, right? Anyway, we come to this fork in the road because it's two of my favorite places in the world, and I am a quality over quantity guy all day. But here at Steven Roundtree Travel, we we try not to make you choose between quality and quantity, but quality and quantity of quality. I did start out making $10 an hour driving an ambulance after all, uh, because yeah, Hemingway did that, and when you're deciding what to do in life, what's a better reason to do anything than Hemingway did it. Uh, But the first option, Borough Market, is my less expensive quality option, which after your relatively inexpensive breakfast at Regency Cafe, two free museums, please donate, a cheap ride on a commuter boat, you can do Borough Market for, you know, let's say 10-15 bucks. Borough Market is the best of England under one roof. The fact that it has no walls is a wonderful metaphor to its endless possibilities. Curry, one stall, venison burgers from farms two hours north, the next stall. I've probably stopped at Burrow Market more times than any other place in Europe, sometimes twice a day. It's lovely, and it even includes a place to go to the bathroom. And here's my quantity of quality option. Tea at Ting of the Shangri-La, because we did traditional England at Regency Cafe. Past England at Tate Britain, Modern England at the Tate Modern, and now it's upward and onward, but mostly upward, to the 35th floor of the futuristically designed Shard, the tallest building in the UK, for tea at Ting of the Shangri-La Hotel. Here's where you're roughly $100, depending on what you order and the current conversion rate buys you a tea at Ting of the Shangri-La. Because instead of buying a whole bunch of separate things that add up to be more, I like to spend a little bit more at one place and make those dollars go much farther than they would if I just tried to piecemeal a bunch of uh, lesser experiences. But here's what you get for your $100 dollars at T18 of the Shangri-La, give or take. Number one, you get a view of London. It's not really a view city, but over 30 stories up, you can see the Tower of London, the Thames, etc., and it is beautiful all lit up at night. Two, you get a very intimate evening with England. Tea is as close to England as you can get, after all. Number three, you get, speaking of dinner, a delicious meal, you gotta eat somewhere like Jim said in the office. Number four is evening drinks. I spend between 15 to $20 per crappy cocktail in say New York when I don't want to be rude and uh, I accept invitations for drinks. Have your drinks here. Number five, urinals some 30 stories above London, which are bordered by clear glass windows. I don't know how much you would pay to use a urinal while looking out over one of the world's great cities, but I, I don't know. It's worth at least some of that $100, right? Um, number six, if this means anything to you, a social media win, if that's your thing. The average person does not have dry eyes sweep across their table like the first hint of fall across a summer lake in the mountains while you just happen to be holding your sweet iPhone up to it. Number seven, same as the previous, but with a tray of three golden tiers of clotted cream and finger sandwiches for your sister-in-law's Facebook page to suck on. Finally, number eight, caffeine. Don't buy coffee. Let's do tea at tea. Let the tea do the heavy lifting of caffeine for the night. Number nine, dessert, and not just one tier, like when you were going for eclairs and they're one-tier boxes. Dessert here comes in a three-tier system. Number ten, and most importantly of all, tea is an excuse to sit down with somebody in an environment that enhances conversation. The dinner and the tea, that's kind of secondary. Speaking of quality over quantity, it's time to wrap this up. So I am Ernest Hip Stephen Roundtree. Bye for now.